It's Film Festival Radio, the show where superstars and future stars happily coexist together. And now, here's your host, Janice Malone. Well, hello, everybody. Happy Saturday. Hopefully your Saturday is going quite well. I know mine is it's okay. It could be better, but but I'll take just okay. Well, listen, uh, we have some show. We have some guests. We have three guests actually here. So in honor of National Hispanic Heritage Month, we have two very beautiful and talented television personality ladies, and they are of Latino heritage. I will be speaking with television personality and Emmy Award winning uh, TV host Liliana Vasquez, whom we've seen on E! Entertainment Channel's uh, shows, uh, Pop of the Morning and E! News, you know, that, you know, I love those shows, but that's what I do. But anyway, Liliana will be joining us and she will be telling us about this new spinoff children's show called Nina's Familia, which is on the Coco Melon uh, YouTube channel for children. And it's a lot of fun show. And kids all over the world just love this show. And later on, I'll be speaking with investigative journalist, uh, award-winning investigative journalist, I should say, Lisa Guerrero, who is the chief investigative correspondent for Inside Edition, as she will be joining us to talk about her new autobiography titled Warrior, My Path to Being Brave. And also, when we get through with this segment here, we'll be talking with Chris Wolsey, Senior Director of Communications for Chicken Soup for the Soul Entertainment, and he will be here to tell us what films and TV shows are popping for the Halloween season and other movies and shows they have on Crackle.com. So we got a lot of show to bring you. So sit back, get you some soda or something, and just listen to us. So when we come back, we'll be chatting with Chris Woolsey to tell us what's popping at crackle.com. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right, listeners, it's that time of show again. It is time for... Chris Woolsey, the Senior Director of Communications for Chicken Soup for the Soul Entertainment, and he's going to tell us what's popping at Crackle. So, Chris, what's creepy, spooky, and altogether ooky for October at Crackle? Oh, my goodness, Janice. We have we got a month for you. I mean, we've got, we know it's spooky season, but we've also, in, in addition to the jump scares, we've also got thrills we've got thrills and chills going on this month at crackle it's very exciting okay who have you got all right so we'll start with the thrills just because uh you know spooky season's got a a ton of titles so i want to make sure and get these in before we start uh rocking and rolling with the horror titles but um we've got a fantastic action film we've talked about this before i love a good action film and they're kind of hard to come by in in uh in all reality and this one is really good so one of my favorite uh, 
Joe's prison break, uh, Dominic Purcell, I just think is spectacular. He's the lead in a film we have this month called Gridlocked. And it's one of my absolute favorite genres of action film, and that is the the buddy action film. So uh, in this one, Dominic Purcell plays this grizzled police veteran who unfortunately draws the short straw and has to babysit Cody Hackman's character. Uh, Cody Hackman from Tapped Out uh, plays this snotty actor who runs afoul of the law. And because of his sentence, he has to go in police ride-alongs. And part of that journey with Dominic Purcell, who uh, calls himself the babysitter because uh, he's got to watch out for this uh, spoiled uh kid um is that they have to stop by this sort of secret police depot uh where uh, it's kind of this gigantic warehouse evidence locker and while they're there they discover that there is a uh, a group of corrupt police officers who are trying to get in there so that they can steal a locker filled with bonds Ooh. and so um it it, it quickly becomes kind of an assault on precinct 13 if you remember that yes. amazing film mm-hmm. so you've got all these mercenaries that are basically pouring into this warehouse to try to get to these millions of dollars of bonds and dominic purcell not only has to foil the criminals uh, but he also has to keep cody hackman's character from getting his head blown off um so it's very funny very fun it's got a, a very much a lethal weapon um yes vibe to it uh especially lethal weapon 2 when you had um sort of the the comedy of them trying to um protect uh some of the other characters mm-hmm. danny glover is also in this okay. uh speaking of lethal weapon um he's got a great part in this so it's fantastic if you're looking for a good friday night popcorn action flick i highly recommend it oh man don't you hate it when you have to babysit the spoil rich kids it's just <laughs> every time oh my goodness <laughs> I wish I could be that spoiled in Me one day. Too. I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting. But yeah, seriously, seriously, that, that buddy genre that was that was a lot of fun. That was a good era action buddies. Uh, I love Jean Reno. He's one of my absolute faves. The professional is amazing. Um, and uh, one of the, the other amazing action films. Speaking of Jean Reno and French action films, is the movie Point Blank. This is also a French action film, and it's got, if you like the movie Taken with Liam Neeson, you're yes. going to love Point Blank. Yeah. So this is uh, French with English subtitles. Um, it stars uh, Dil Loche, who's uh, from uh, Little White Lies, which is a great series. It also stars uh, Elena Anaya from Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. and uh, he plays a nurse who inadvertently saves a criminal from uh, death in the hospital and through a, a, a bunch of strange circumstances, it ends up that the mob kidnaps his pregnant wife in order to help spring their boss from jail. Oh my so Bill Laloche not only has to uh, rescue his pregnant wife, but he also has to dispatch every bad guy that gets in his way. And it's great because it's kind of a fish out of out of water because mm-hmm. he's not he's not ex-military he's not a, a police officer he's a nurse and he's he's got to uh, somehow figure out how to foil all these professional criminals and get his wife back. Mm-hmm. Uh, point blank, it is phenomenal. Oddly enough, Gil Laloche 
could go as Liam Neeson for Halloween because he looks so much like him. I think he's the, the French Liam Neeson, and I've heard people call him. So The French Liam Neeson. Okay. Well, I'm still going to watch it anyway. It, it's, it's a fantastic film. You're going to love it. Okay. And now, now, getting to the spooky. The reason we're here, right? It's, yes. We're getting close to Halloween. Yes. And speaking of Halloween, we have the one that started it all. The 1978 John Carpenter classic, Halloween. No, you don't. Maybe my favorite horror film of all time. I think I've seen it about a hundred times. It never gets old. It's so well done. It is ridiculous. Um, I, you know, before we talk, uh, Janice, I always try and do as much research as I possibly can because, you know, when you, when you're having a conversation with someone who is so intelligent and, and so well-versed in entertainment, I, I've got to bring the big guns, uh, to, when I talk to someone like you. Uh, so, that's supposed to be me, right? Okay. That is supposed oh, to be you, absolutely. And, uh, so I did some research on this. Not only was this movie made, this was only John Carpenter's second film, and not only was it made on a shoestring budget, but it was supposed to take place in Illinois, Haddonfield, uh, the uh, the uh, imaginary town of Haddonfield. It's supposed to be outside of it, of Chicago in in the fall, but they shot it in Pasadena and Altadena in the spring. No way. So yeah. Um, you can actually still drive to uh, the Myers' home in Pasadena. It's still there and apparently gets gawkers uh, by the carload every day. But um, because John Carpenter really wanted this to look like it was Halloween, they actually bought bags and bags of paper leaves. And one of their production assistants just happened to be a young actor by the name of Robert England, who you might remember as a character that a couple of people have seen called Freddy Krueger. And he said the only thing he remembers about working on that movie was John Carpenter yelling at him while he stood in the back of a truck (laughs) and threw paper leaves out of the back (laughs) of the truck and uh, John Carpenter yelling at him to throw them faster. And so they would throw the leaves out onto the lawns because there's a lot of street shots in that movie, if you mm-hmm. if you remember, mm-hmm. and and then they would have to pick up all the leaves, put them back in the bags, and then drive them to the next location. Oh God, what a lousy job! But right, so crazy. And um, uh, you know, it stars Donald Pleasance, who's one of my absolute favorite actors mm-hmm. in the entire world. God rest his soul. Um, he he was from The Great Escape and a, a million other amazing films. Well, apparently, uh, he liked to have a glass of wine or two or or three, so the story goes. And at one point, they were getting ready to film his big monologue, and one of the PAs comes up to John Carpenter and says, uh, I don't want to alarm you, but it appears that Donald has had a few drinks today. And, um, and so John Carpenter goes, oh, my gosh. So he pulled Donald Pleasance aside and said, look. I can't afford to shoot this scene twice. You have got to nail it. And Donald Pleasance looked at him and said, it's not a problem. And, uh, and of course, anyone who's seen the movie yes. knows that monologue from the back of the station wagon in the classic front of the film. It's just chilling. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, 
we've got Halloween. It's a classic. If you haven't seen it, or even if you have seen it and you haven't seen it recently, you've got to check that. Oh, yeah. It's worth going back to see it again just because it's Halloween. But now we know some of this backstory, some of these pocket stories. So that's going to make it even more fun. So I got to go see it. I got to go see it again. Excellent. Well, we we the, the list goes on and on. We've we've got a really good one that I had never heard of, and and I I like horror films, and this one I missed when it was in the theaters, um, and it's called Monstrous, and this is starring Christina Ricci, uh, obviously from Adam's Family, but also from recently from the series Wednesday, um, and she is phenomenal. And in this one, she plays a single mother who is escaping a, an abusive relationship. Um, and so her and her son are kind of on the run from her ex-husband, and they decide that they're going to hide out by renting this farmhouse that's kind of in the middle of nowhere. Well, unfortunately, she quickly learns that they have gone from out of the frying pan into the fire because the farmhouse that they are renting and living in is severely haunted. Oh, man. Yeah. <sighs> and it is terrifying it's a very odd film in that the first quarter of it until you realize what's going on is a very different film than the the back three quarters it's um it's almost like a tim burton kind of a feel in the in the beginning of it and she's sort of this like perfect 50s 60s housewife mm -hmm. and then you find out that there's something very different going on but mm -hmm. it's it's a really good movie i highly recommend it um monstrous see that whole you got to you think quaint cottage in the middle of nowhere those are the thought this is the thought that i have about doing airbnb by myself because i'm scared i might run into something like that I know, oh, right? Yeah. Well, weird, weird things happen out there. So, yes, and I careful when you're renting. Yeah, be very careful. But I'm going to cautionary tale. Cautionary tale, and think about this movie for sure. Okay, okay. You know what, Chris? I saw on your site, on uh, Crackle site, where you guys also have Young Dracula. Do we do? Yeah, very fun series. Mm -hmm. um, this one is starring. Uh, Keith Lee Castle from the Seed of Chucky, if you're into the horror franchises. Yes. Um, very fun. It, this was a uh, BBC TV series, and uh, it's, it's, it's just an interesting show. It's, it kind of takes the point of view of the vampire mm -hmm. and then shows him like trying to figure out how to live in this family of vampires. So it's, it's got a lot of comedy in it. Um, it's it's very fun. Vampires have a point of view. I guess they're people too, huh? Exactly. And so you've got Dracula, Count Dracula, who's uh, you know uh, trying to be a dad. He's got two kids who are teenagers. Of course, they're goth. I mean, how how are you not goth when your dad is Count Dracula? Um, it's it's very fun. Oh yeah, I gotta I gotta crank that one up. It's so many good ones, so many good ones. Whoa. For sure. And then um on top of that, we have the iconic horror directors channel, of course, for Halloween. So we've got uh Night of the Living Dead, Day of the Dead, George Romero Classics, yeah. uh Summer of Fear from Wes Craven. We've got John Carpenter films on there, all kinds of great stuff. And then if you're looking for the scares, maybe without the monsters or the gore, um, we also have Killer TV. 
which is a kind of a murder-centric channel. Um, I think my favorite, it's got Forensic Files on there, which I think is currently the longest-running current TV show in history. Um, We also have uh, Murder City, which is a great British series. Mm -hmm. But I think my favorite is called Cruise Ship Killers. And this is one of those reenactment shows, Mm -hmm. which unfortunately I'm obsessed with. I, I can't watch... Like unsolved mysteries, if it's on, mm-hmm. have to sit down and watch the entire episode. I can't just go, oh, unsolved mysteries, and either turn the TV off or keep turning the channel. I have to sit down and see what Robert Stack is doing this week. So this is another one of those, and it's all about people who are it's true stories. Again, mm-hmm. cautionary tales of travel, Janice. Yes, yes. Uh, these are people who are murdered on cruise ships, and it goes through the entire. They reenact the entire. Murder, and then, of course, the investigation and the result of that. Um, super fun, very interesting, and a little terrifying if you're going on vacation. And that's killer TV. That is killer TV. Man, that's amazing. Well, is, is Snapped, is that a part of it, too? Which one? Snapped. Um, that might be. It's not ringing any bells with me. Was that on the... On the website? Uh, no, that Snap just a, is just a series that I just had. The first two seasons of Snapped about how women snapped and killed their husbands. I don't know oh, why. That's probably on Ike. I'm oh, okay. addicted to that channel, and that is uh, those are good stuff. Yeah, and I was a kind of worried because I was such a dedicated viewer for the first two seasons. Was why? Why am I liking this so much? What's wrong oh. here? So I, well, I had the same me. problem when I, my wife and I got obsessed with the show Monsters Among Us, which were about uh, uh, people who had uh, like intestinal, uh, like bacterial infections and fungal infections. And yeah, I was a little concerned that maybe it was my mind's way of telling me that there was something drastically wrong inside my body. <laughs> you know, and I'm not going to admit this just between us, Chris, but I have this obsession with watching Dr. Pimple Popper. That's just between us. Yeah, uh, a lot you're in good company. A lot of people do. I uh just because I like eating dinner too too much, I I can't get on board that train. But um yeah, I mean people love that show. It's a very popular. It just it really is. Well, okay. So we have uh we've gotten we've got our our spookiness and our creepiness for the month of October for Crackle, crackle.com. Uh anything else special going on at crackle.com that we need to know about? Oh, just wait. I mean, on on top of all the horror we've got going on, uh, just wait until November. Really big surprises. Okay. Okay. Well, we've got just a few more weeks. And in the meantime, we will just take your advice and your suggestions and check out some of these recommendations for Crackle.com for the month of October. And as always, thank you so much. Janice, it's always the pleasure of my week. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay, thank you so much, Chris Wolsey. And we will definitely be checking out uh, so much going on, so much good stuff going on at crackle.com. So that brings me to our next guest here. Our next guest, we've seen her on television. She's a TV personality, Liliana Vasquez. Uh, You know, we've all seen her. As I said, she's uh, most recently the host of E! Entertainment's daily morning shows, uh, E! News and Pop of the Morning. Well, she is 
now spokesperson for this new wonderful kids show on the Coco Melon YouTube channel. It's called Nina's Familia, and it's a spinoff uh, series from one of Coco Melon's other shows. So kids all over the world just love Coco Melon's uh, programming. So now they are falling in love with Nina's Familia. So let's bring on my chat with the lovely and talented Liliana Vasquez to tell us more about Nina's Familia. So let's take a listen. Well, hello. Good morning. How are you this morning, Liliana? Good morning to you as well. Well, of course, we are here to briefly chat about the new series, Nina's Familia, that just premiered on the Coco Melon YouTube channel a few days ago. So for people who are not familiar with uh, the Coco Melon channel and Nina's Familia, tell us all about it. The new spinoff series, I should say. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So Coco Melon is a beloved children's learning and entertainment brand globally. I mean, this series has billions of views and streams all around the world. Um, it's a huge part of learning in our household. I am a mom to a two-year-old, Santiago. And Coco Melon is part of our world through the music, through the books, through the shows. And for the first time ever, uh, Coco Melon has launched the very first bilingual series from this franchise. So it's a spinoff starring Nina Reyes, who is one of the characters in Coco Melon. She is one of JJ's friends. And now we get to step into her world and get to know her family, her familia, um, through their adventures. And I'm so excited. It just launched um, on the 29th. And it's on YouTube. And there's so many amazing things for families to enjoy together and for children to learn from this series. Well, I'm really happy to hear that it's a bilingual series. So kids who may not speak uh, Spanish can definitely enjoy it as well. I have a lot of people in my family who are bilingual. I've got to get on the train. I don't know what I'm waiting on, but <laughs> it's just, I've got to get on it. Because it seems like speaking Spanish, it seems like it's so much fun when people are speaking Spanish. It's just a happy language here. So, okay. So now we know, of course, we have seen you in front of the cameras and you're such a major celebrity uh, in front of the camera as well as behind the camera. So do you have any, uh, did you work on this series behind the camera or do you plan on anytime soon? I mean, I would love to. I feel like, you know, Nina, I could be like Nina's cool aunt or something, right? <laughs> that like visits from LA. Uh, but no, I would love to. But no, for me, I am such a fan of Coco Melon. Um, like I said, it's been instrumental in in teaching Santiago language and social emotional learning. Um, and for me to be able to be part of this project and the launch and share it with the world is an incredible opportunity because, you know, growing up, I didn't have a show like this, right? In the 80s, I mean, we were so limited on the content that we had. And I certainly didn't have a show where there was a little girl named Nina Reyes, right? Looking back at me that looked like me, that sounded like me, that ate the food that I ate. And so when I knew that Coco Melon was working on this series launch, I mean, I was so excited to be a part of this launch, to be able to share it with you guys, because it is so important, right? Representation is, is yes. paramount to how children identify in the world and being able to see themselves on screen is so powerful for them. And so this show is going to give an entire generation of Latinx children the ability to do that. And I also think it's really important that this 
representation is going to so many households globally, right? Being able to share the beauty, and I always say, you know, the success and the splendor of Latinx culture with a global audience is amazing. And what an amazing tool to have to be able to bring Spanish language into your home, because this is a bilingual series. Some of these episodes are going to be fully in Spanish. And I always look at my two-year-old and think, he's so smart and he's so curious. I want to continue to like inspire that in him, right? And one way that we as parents can do that is by the content that we expose them to and being able to expose them to this type of content. It's for me, it's like winning as a parent. Absolutely, definitely so. Now, I understand that uh, this this series will also feature a lot of songs that were popular, that are are popular in Latina families, you know, uh, over the years. Can you tell us about some of the maybe nursery rhymes or familiar songs or something? Yeah, so, you know, Copacabana is known, of course, for its very infectious and catchy nursery rhymes. You're going to still get all of that, you know, all of that Melon DNA is still part of Mi Mesa Familia. But you're also going to get really classic, traditional Spanish language nursery rhymes, like something that my grandmother taught me. Now my son's going to be able to learn. So nursery rhymes, like this one called Dale, Dale, Dale. Um, I always say, like, it's a dream when I get to see Santi, my son, teach his friends that don't speak Spanish <laughs> that nursery rhyme because they learned it on Mines Familia. Um, so those opportunities are, are really exciting for a parent to be able to see and to give to their children. And so excited for these little guys to be able to, like, start speaking, speaking Spanish. You know, it's my dream for my son to be bilingual, if not trilingual. And knowing that there's a show like this from a brand that, as a parent, I trust so much that I can use as a tool to continue to reinforce language and the value of it and teach him Spanish. Like, that's amazing. And so I know you mentioned that your son is two years old. So what generally, what age group, what demographic age group uh, is the show geared towards? Yeah, I would say it's perfect for toddlers. You know, I think every house is different in terms of when they want to introduce, you know, screens or TV time. But what's beautiful about Cocomelon and what I love about it so much is that there are so many different ways to experience the Coco Melon universe and the Coco Melon world. There's so many books, like all of our books in our house are like tattered and torn because my son's been, you know, reading them with me or we've been reading them to him since he was so little. There's also infinite catalog of Coco Melon music. So I think the decision to, you know, watch a show is a family decision, right? Like my two-year-old watches limited screen time, but we watch it together because it's something that we do as a family. I like to talk to him through the scenes and ask him questions and say, what color is her shoe? You know, what is she eating? Um, you know, but I think it's perfect for toddlers and, and preschool age children. Oh, that's very good to hear because the younger that you start kids learning different things, it'll just grow as they grow. That's a wonderful age group to know about. So, okay, uh, before we wrap this up, we know that you have... Uh, so many wonderful projects. We've seen you on television in so many different uh, series and shows and such. What do you have coming up for the new year or maybe towards the end of this year? Yeah, well, I have a podcast called Becoming an Icon. And like I said, I'm half Mexican, half Puerto Rican. And so representing for my culture is so important to what I do. And so I host a podcast called Becoming an Icon, and it follows the journey of the biggest Latinx music icons in the world. So if you love Jennifer Lopez, if you love Bad Bunny, Ricky Martin, Mark Anthony, Bruno Mars, all of these massive stars, Shakira, I go into a very deep dive into what truly makes them iconic. 
how they grew up, how they got to where they are today and what the future holds for them. Oh, that's so cool. I'm a big, huge Bad Bunny fan myself. So I, I got to tune in. <laughs> I got to deep dive into that. You got to listen. I, gotta I think listen. there's six episodes okay. about Bad Bunny. Okay. So you've wrapped up for this this year uh, or do you have some more to record? Um, we have our last episode for Becoming an Icon launching at the end of October, but there's 36 episodes, so tons of content for you. Oh, man. So we can just binge watch. And then while our kids are watching Coco Melon, we can also listen to your podcast. So everybody is occupied. So that'll be really well good. Very exactly. good. Well, thank you so much, Liliana, for giving us some uh, just a little bit of backstory about Nina's Familia. Uh, on the Coco Melon uh, YouTube channel, and it's already in progress. And it sounds like a wonderful, entertaining, and learning tool for kids, big kids like me too, to learn and have some fun. So thank you so much for sharing with us. Of course. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Okay. Take care then. Bye-bye. Okay, thank you so much, Liliana. And uh, now that brings me to our next guest, our final guest here. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, our guest is Lisa Guerrero. And she, of course, is an award-winning chief investigative correspondent for Inside Edition. The new season of the show premiered last month. And that show has been on since 1989. Oh my goodness, I cannot believe it's been on that long. But hey, it's still here. We, we enjoy it. As always, their ratings are ridiculously high. And uh, that's why we still enjoy it each day. So as I said at the top of the show, Lisa Guerrero has just released her new autobiography that's about her amazing life. Uh, very personal stories, uh, also just about her career as a TV journalist as well. I mean, she started off as a kind of rather shy eight-year-old little girl. She, you know, had to cope with the loss of her mom. Her mom passed away of cancer when she was a little girl. And of course, she was very, very close to her dad and uh, the rest of her family. And then, you know, she went on from, from there to uh, eventually launch a modeling career, an acting career. She became an NFL cheerleader, uh, and then on into being a television media sportscaster. Just a lot of very personable stories. Some will make you cry, some will make you angry, and some will just make you want to cheer Lisa on and just really uh, love the work that she's been doing for Inside Edition. And I am so happy that I had the opportunity to talk with her about her her life, just a portion of her life that she shares in the book, as well as uh, the opportunity to share the microphone with a lady that I've admired for many years. And so let's take a listen to my recent chat with award-winning Chief Investigative Correspondent for Inside Edition, Lisa Guerrero, as she talks about her new book, Warrior, My Path to Being Brave. So let's take a listen right now. Hi, Lisa. It's Anna Hopper right here. All right. Hi, how are you? Hi, good afternoon, Lisa. It is such a pleasure to chat with you. I've been a longtime fan of 
you and Inside Edition and Deborah Norville and especially you because I have an avid interest in sports myself. So uh, just a pleasure to talk to you. Amazing. Well, great to talk to you, too, and nice to meet you. Okay, okay. Well, let's jump right in here. You have a brand new, just released autobiography, Warrior, My Path to Being Brave. And I just have so much to unpack here. So first of all, I want to say uh, congratulations with Inside Edition. New season premiered last month. The show has been on since, what, 1989, I think? I believe it is. Let's talk our 35th anniversary, which is just, I mean, mind-boggling, honestly. It's, it's, it's incredible. It is incredible. And so you've been with the show about, what, 16, 17 years? 17 years, 17 correct. Years. That's, that's amazing. And as gorgeous as you are, you are, you chased those bad guys down because you were an excellent investigative reporter. Uh, just looking at you, people would never think, oh, my God, this is what she does. Okay. <laughs> That's my secret weapon. They don't see me coming. And when they do finally uh, view me running up to them, um, they usually don't expect me to ask the tough questions mm-hmm. that I ask. And so it's kind of a secret weapon, and I love it. And you do ask some very tough questions, very tough ones over the years here. So let's open up the pages of your book here. Uh, First of all, why did you decide to write your memoirs at this time in your life? I felt like it was, you know, there's a lot of division in this country, and there's a lot of mistrust of the media. Mm -hmm. And I had been thinking about writing this book for a long time from the perspective of a woman in sports. But then as my career progressed, and I got into news reporting, and then investigative journalism, I realized that a lot of people were really interested in what happens behind the scenes in the media, in sports, as a woman in the locker room, as somebody who chases criminals. And everywhere I went, people had a thousand questions for me. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to write the book. And it's going to answer a lot of questions, but it will also allow me to kind of write a love letter uh, to my younger self and to forgive my younger self for some mistakes I made along the way. And finally, I wanted it to be a cautionary tale to other young people who were considering a career in journalism, media, entertainment, or sports. And so I find that I'll... to write the book, I wanted the book to be really unflinchingly honest. And in order to do that, I had to go back and look at my old journals, that old data tapes, the VHS tapes of my work, and you know, interview people from my class. And what I discovered was that the book I thought I was writing, which was kind of a humorous set of essays about a woman in sport, was really not funny. What I went through was traumatic. And it really changed the angle of my book. And so the book became something that I thought was painful to write, but an important piece of historical journalism. I wanted people to know what it was like for a woman that looked like me, that came from my background, that has the last name Guerrero, 
um, you know, that had the backstory that I had. I wanted people to know what challenges I faced and more importantly, how I overcame those challenges. And to further speak of uh, your last name, which you so beautifully just pronounced, I will never be able to pronounce it that well. <laughs> but tell, share with people. Uh, say Guerrero. I, you know say that's Guerrero. it. You Bye. know, you know that's what I'm going to say, Guerrero. <laughs> but yeah, just, exactly. It's easier. Yeah, uh, but you just did it so beautifully. Oh my goodness. Um, so tell everyone the the real meaning of your last name. So um, part of my book recounts uh, a moment when I was eight years old. My mother, Lucy, who was an immigrant from Chile, uh, had just been diagnosed with lymphoma. And she was told she did not have very long to live. She was just 29 years old. She called me into her room towards the end. And she said, Lisa, never forget that your last name, Guerrero, means warrior. You were born to fight. I had no idea what that meant. You know, she passed away a couple of weeks later. And as an eight-year-old girl without a mother, his last name was actually Cole because my dad's last name was Cole. He was American. I didn't know what she was trying to tell me. My last name is Guerrero, and Guerrero means warrior. I didn't understand that, and it took me decades to unravel the importance of that last name, the connection to my heritage, and what that means for all of us, trying to tap into our inner warriors, because I believe that all people are warriors. We just need to give ourselves permission to be brave and to fight the battles in front of us every day. Now, earlier in your career, because uh, in addition to being a television journalist, uh, as we a lot of us know, you've been an NFL cheerleader, you were a model in your teen, uh, as the late teens and such, early 20s. Were you ever encouraged to change your name? Because as we know, a lot of famous people earlier on their careers who had different heritage, they were encouraged to change their names. So what about in your case? So my story has a little bit of a twist. As I mentioned, my dad's American, and I was born Lisa Cole, so a very kind of English, all-American name. But because I knew as I got older that I wanted to identify as Latina, and I wanted to really cement my, you know, my connection to my mother and my heritage, I decided as an adult to change my last name legally from Cole to Guerrero, my mother's last name. But first, I checked with my dad because, I, you know, he raised me and he's wonderful and thank God, knock on wood, he's here today and healthy and happy at 85. But when I was younger, I went to him and I said, Dad, what would you think if I changed my last name to Mom's last name and became Lisa Guerrero? And he got so emotional and he teared up and he said, he would be so proud of you. Yes, I give you my blessing. Yes, you are Lisa Guerrero. And so um, when I started in the business as Lisa Guerrero, I did have an early manager. And he said to me, first of all, Guerrero is too hard to pronounce. And secondly, as Lisa Guerrero, you will only be cast as a maid or the girlfriend of a gang member. Um, you will not 
the auditioning for mainstream leading lady role with that last name. So you could change your last name. And instead, I changed my manager. And I found a female manager that loved my last name and loved my ethnicity and everything I bring to the table. And so I have never looked back. I have always been Lisa Guerrero. Oh, so such a wise move. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for saying that and letting people, women especially out here, know when you run into those kind of janky situations like that, maybe it's the person you need to change up on, you know? Correct. Correct. And that goes with everybody in your life, professionally and personally. Exactly. So, well, now, in addition to Inside Edition, uh, you also host Secrets of Playboy on A&E. And you once modeled for the Playboy brand earlier in your career. So I understand that you were not exactly all that impressed initially the first time you met Hugh Hefner. Tell us about that. It was really a strange situation because I was young. I was, you know, I started to be a swimsuit and fitness model in my late teens and early 20s. And Playboy at the time had a modeling agency attached to the brand, but you didn't have to be a playmate or pose nude or anything to be part of the Playboy modeling agency. They represented swimsuit and fitness models as well as playmates. So I signed with them to do fitness campaigns and swimwear campaigns. But part of the deal was every Friday night, you had to go to the movie screening at the Playboy Mansion. And I was really intimidated to go to this thing. I didn't drink or do drugs. I was really nervous about all these dirty old men running around the Playboy Mansion. (laughs) And I had no interest in, in being anywhere near that world. But because I was signed with the agency, I had to go. So because I was kind of a starving actor model, I brought with me in a bag empty Tupperware containers. And I would go to the screening, and they always had a big buffet. And while all the men were and young women were in the movie theater watching the movie, I would sneak out to the buffet, fill all my empty Tupperware with food, <laughs> and then get into my car and leave. And then I could say, okay, I was there, but I didn't stay the whole time and I stole food, basically. (laughs) Um, One time, I was coming out of the bathroom and uh, Hugh Hefner was coming down the corridor um, towards me. And he saw me. And of course, back then I was young and I had sweet blonde hair and I probably looked like his type. (laughs) And he, he leaned in to kiss me right on the mouth. I had never even met the man. And I turned my face. And he, like, slobbered on my teeth. And he was so angry. He had a flash of anger in his face that I turned my teeth. And I just thought, oh, my God, i got to get out of here. I'm going to get fired from this agency. And thankfully, he was surrounded with a bunch of people that kind of, you know, swept him away. So he didn't get my name. But I, I remember just thinking he was disgusting. Years later, decades later... I actually had the opportunity at 40 to pose for the cover of Playboy, which I did after my sportscasting career had come to a horrific end. And so I thought I would use the platform that they could provide me to be on the cover and then use the press to tell everybody I wanted to be a news reporter now getting into entertainment magazine reporting. 
And Inside Edition saw me on the cover, did a story about me, and they offered me a two-year contract as a West Coast correspondent. And that has now turned into a 17-year career with Inside Edition. So in a way, I have Playboy to thank for my Inside Edition career. The, what an amazing turnaround there. That that was amazing. That was amazing. Well, wow. to further speak, I've got a couple of last questions here. And to further speak of your, your football television career, uh, you were on Monday Night Football. I mean, it's, and I'm a huge football fan. So I, I mean, I remember watching you. And so it seemed like it was like the dream job to have on the surface. But oh my goodness, Lisa, can you just share with us the tragedy that happened for you while you were live on the air. Yeah, I was, you know, I had had a decade of a forecasting experience behind me mm-hmm. by the time ABC came calling and asked me to be on the sidelines for Monday Night Football. I had been an anchor, a correspondent for many years, both in Southern California and then on the national platform at Fox Sports. So when I got the job with Monday Night Football, I had a lot of experience in sports. But I had never done sideline reporting, which is different than anchoring or being a beat reporter, et cetera. But, you know, they said it's going to be a little bit different. We want entertainment, meet sports, and you're not just going to be on the sidelines doing X's and O's. You're going to be up in the stands talking to team owners and celebrities and fans. And it sounded like a lot of fun, so I accepted the job. Little did I know that immediately when the announcement was made that they hired me, I was going to be widely criticized by the sports media. They didn't think I deserved to be there. They thought that I was just a swimsuit model or a Ram cheerleader. They called me a bimbo. I was slut-famed by the entire mm-hmm. me, including USA Today, the New York Times, all of you know, ESPN, sports radio. They all just crapped me before I ever picked up a microphone. And that really deeply affected me. I was hurt. I was humiliated. I was shamed. And additionally, I've had an executive producer on Monday Night Football who was a scream. They call them screamers in sports. He would scream at me and yell at me. And um, that deeply shook my confidence. I was scared of him. So every interaction with him, I would grow up. I would be shaking. I was scared of him, like physically scared of him. And um, so I had a terrible year. I, I lost a lot of weight. I wasn't myself on camera because I was so afraid of making a mistake. And finally, the first three preseason games went great. But the first regular season game, at the end of the game, I made a mistake. I misspoke. And although I quickly um, uh, fixed the mistake live, it was too late. I had already given the critics what they wanted. And so the rest of the season was just a barrage of insults and a criticism directed at me in the media. And uh, I found out late in the season that I was pregnant. I had been newly engaged and uh, I, I really couldn't believe I was pregnant because I was so depressed and I had lost much weight and I was ill. I was very sick. But I was excited because I loved my fiancé. And I thought, okay, I'm pregnant. 
I only told him and my doctor. Uh, it was early on. It was maybe about eight weeks. And the next game after I found out I was pregnant, um, I, as usual, was getting yelled at by my boss before the game. Um, I was nervous, as usual, to cover the game because of the amount of pressure and, and scrutiny I was enduring at the time. And in the second quarter, I felt sharp pain and cramping. And I was in the middle of reporting live to 40 million people on camera while I realized I was starting to have a miscarriage. At that time, I went into the official bathroom in the tunnel, and sure enough, I was just bleeding profusely. And I knew I was having this miscarriage. It was very painful. I was dark white. And instead of telling my producer and instead of calling 911 and getting you know, an, an ambulance to the stadium to take me to the hospital, I just stuffed a lot of paper towels in my pants, buttoned up my long jacket, and went out in the second half, enduring the pain of a miscarriage, and continued to report from the sidelines. Oh, I took the plane home that night, and the next morning, my husband took me to my doctor, where sure enough, he said, you know, yes, we've had a miscarriage. And um, it was the most excruciating experience of my life. It was awful. But at that point, I knew I have nothing else to lose now. I've lost my dignity. Clearly, I've lost this job. I knew they were going to fire me at the end of the season. And now I've lost the pregnancy. So I have nothing left to lose. But I was wrong because after I really was fired a few months later, I considered suicide. I wanted to kill myself because I was so wrapped up in this notion that I'm a sports personality. And thank God I called my dad. I reached out to a therapist and I did the hard work of building myself back and changing my, you know, focus of my career from sports news. But that was the darkest two year period of my life. Oh, Lisa, I am so sorry to hear the rest of the story about this. Oh, my goodness. Okay, this said boss at that at that time, when you finally did come back and after, you know, from, from this horrible tragedy, did he continue to berate you and others? I'm assuming others, too. Or what was that like? Yeah, he didn't know that I had endured this miscarriage, and I still had a couple of games left. And so, yeah, he continued to treat me the same, and then I got fired. He didn't even give me the courtesy of telling me that they had replaced me. I found out from a reporter who called me saying, do you have any comments about being replaced? And so, you know, this guy was just treated me really poorly. Um, once my book came out, and, you know, I, I write all about this in my book. And when the book came out, I thought, well, you know, first of all, there was an article written before the book came out about this period, you know, in my life where I talked about being verbally abused by him. And he called me, this is, you know, 17 years later, and I thought he was going to apologize. But what he did is he didn't deny that he verbally abused me. Instead, he said that he remembered it differently. He didn't remember doing this to me. How could I go to the media and tell them that? So anyway, that's also in my book. So no, he never apologized. And I'm sure to this day, he tells people that it never happened or 
I don't know how he justifies it, but for me, I wanted my book to tell the story so that people would know how to look for red flags. The current me, the 59-year-old me, would have said, don't ever speak to me like that. Don't raise your voice at me. Don't yell at me. Don't use profanities around me. But back then, I wasn't strong enough to push that. So part of the reason that I wrote my book is to remind especially young journalists and anybody to recognize those red flags and to draw boundaries and push back against the bully. And finally, uh, this uh, particular gentleman, is he still working in television news that you know of? I don't know. Okay, good. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but I still am. So yes, The most definitely. important part of that answer is yes. it doesn't matter where he is or what he's doing now. What truly matters is that after 40 years on camera, I'm still here and I'm still doing my job and I'm still fighting for survivors and victims of crimes and scams. Yes. I'm still here. You are still here and you're still as gorgeous as ever, if I may add that as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's so kind of you. And finally, Lisa, how can people... Fans reach out to you to, you know, if they want to make comments, if they, after they purchase your book, again, the book is titled Warrior, My Path to Being Brave. How, how can they say hello to you? Well, there's a couple of ways. First of all, if you want an autographed copy of my book, um, I can autograph it to you and personalize it and send it right to you. So you can go to lisaguerrero.com, get a copy. And also, hey, guess what? I just joined TikTok. <laughs> so I'm at Lisa Guerrero Official on TikTok, and I'm also on Instagram and Twitter at the number for Lisa Guerrero, and I have a uh, Facebook official page as well. So I watch all of those platforms every day, and I interact with all of our viewers and fans. I really love being able to be coachable and reachable and to have conversations that important. Well, Lisa, now that you're on TikTok, we really have to tune into your page to see if you're going to do any of those wild, crazy TikTok dance challenges there. <laughs> you know I will. Yes, you will. cheerleader. Are you kidding? Oh, yes, you have to. Well, again, Lisa, thank you so much. Oh, you've just been such a delight. And we'll see you later on today on Inside Edition. And again, the book is Warrior, My Path to Being Brave. Lisa, wow, thank you so much. This has been just a delight for me to chat with you. Thank you so much for giving me the privilege of your time. Okay. I appreciate that. Thank you. All right. Take care then. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for giving me the privilege of your time. Okay. Uh, we are so out of time on this edition of Film Festival Radio Show. want to thank all of my guests for joining us as always. And we cannot do the show without all of you listeners around the world who tune us in, thank you each and every one of you for supporting our show the way that you have all these years. So you know what? We're going to do it all over again. So join us for the next edition of Film Festival Radio Show, and we'll see you then. Take care. Bye-bye.